At times it may be hard to describe what rest really is. But you know when you need it, and you know when you've gotten it. I don't know about you, but for me, every night, one of the last things I'm doing is I'm thinking about what's going to happen the next day and what time I need to set my clock. And I have this little, you know, KK can see me. I, 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 it's not that I'm bad with math, but, but she can see me when I start doing like this. She knows I'm counting how many hours of sleep I'm going to get. She says, so you're getting ready to go to bed, huh? And I say, yeah, you know, I'm kind of figuring this out. It's good for me, fun for me, even restful for me when I don't have to set the clock. I don't know about you. I, I still wake up early, but I just go, wow, I get to go to bed tonight and not set the clock. And what that's like to try to find rest. I was talking with a guy the other day, and he gets up really early to go to work. And I said, so what do you do on your day off? He said, I catch up on my sleep. But as we all know, you can't really catch up on your sleep. But this morning, I just, I just want to hover for a minute right here on this word. Just put it up on the screen. We want to just kind of let it soak in for a minute. Rest. We understand that physical rest can give you an opportunity for emotional rest. We also understand that emotional stress can have its impact on your physical rest. Now, can I get an amen on that? Yeah, I mean, you know, you know what that's like. You see the interaction. But do we really see the interaction between spiritual rest and emotional rest? Do we understand what the Scripture is talking about when God says, I have a rest in mind for you. In the book of Hebrews, we've been going there to try to get some perspective on the Old Testament story. In the book of Hebrews, we find that there is an interaction and a pathway toward spiritual rest. An example of spiritual rest, a pattern even, if you will, for spiritual rest. And I want us to open our Bibles this morning to Hebrews is toward the end of your Old Testament, Hebrew, New Testament, Hebrews chapter 3 and 4. And what we're going to do, if you have a physical copy of the Bible, we're going we're gonna to do a little bit of this. We're going to spend some time in, in Hebrews. We're going to go back to the Old Testament, see the story that it's based on. Then we're going to come back to the New Testament and make that application to our lives. So let's just read one verse out of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. In these two chapters, the word rest is referred to about a dozen times. And so what we're going to do is see how that application of spiritual rest applies to our life today. So let's, let's make a deal, all right? You listen to the Word of God. Let me try to point it out to you, and you respond to what he's saying. Just like Justin said the other morning, he was having that time with his Bible, and what did God do in his life? I have one simple goal for these next few minutes together, that God will take his Word 
speak to your heart, and you will respond to him. So pray with me. Father, we pause now to look into your word. We ask you to be the teacher. We pray that you would help us see what we need to do to respond to you. Anything we need to lay down, anything we need to pick up, anything we need to believe, any unbelief we need to set aside. So we pray that you would speak to us in a personal way. That is why we pray this prayer. Lord God, speak to my heart. Would you pray that prayer aloud with me? Lord God, speak to my heart. And Lord, when you speak, we'll know that it's you. So we listen now for your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Almost a dozen times, the writer of the book of Hebrews refers to rest. He is making an application between the people of God and the promised land of old. But he's applying it in a New Testament setting to what it means to follow God into his promises and his promised land. So in order for us to make the application, we need to understand the context of what he's talking about. So if you go back in your Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy, we're going to look We could read so many different passages, but we're going to look at just how the story unfolds and how it applies to mine your life. Now, I am pretty visual. I would I would preach every Sunday with a marker board, you know, if if I if it was easy to put it up here, because it wouldn't help you, but it would help me as I would start seeing the way things interface, even in a uh, way together that they fit on a timeline. So. This morning, I want you to just know that when I'm, when I'm right here, I'm referring to the cross of Jesus. When I'm over here, I'm getting into the New Testament. When I'm, when I'm way over here, I'm applying this to my and your life, looking back at the cross in the New Testament teaching. But today, we need to stroll back over here to the Old Testament for a moment. I, I, I'm not going to take time to refer to creation and the fall of man and then understanding what happened with Noah and then how God gave Abram a call and then Isaac responded and then Isaac had two sons Esau and Jacob and how Jacob then name was changed to Israel and Joseph went to Egypt and the Jews went to Egypt I'm not going to go into all that all right I just want you to know that's part of the timeline And when they came out of Egypt being led out by Moses, God said he was bringing them out to take them in, right? So God's goal was not just to deliver them from slavery. God's goal was to take them from slavery and take them into the promised land. So what happened After God had given his law, after God had described how to be worshipped through the tabernacle, He brought the people of God to a place called Kadesh Barnea. Kadesh Barnea is found in the book of Deuteronomy when Moses starts describing what happened back then. It's been 40 years since the then. And so Moses starts to describe to the people what happened back then. I just want to give you this one little tidbit because I I so long for you to be 
such a people that know your Bibles that you even come back to me and correct me for what I messed up, all right? The Bible says in the book of Acts that the Berean Christians went home and checked out what they were taught to see if what they were being taught was true, all right? I'm totally willing for that to happen. I long for that to happen, that you know your Bibles and you test it. Here's a little tidbit for you. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch, the, the law, the Torah, as the, as the people of Israel would refer to it. Deuteronomy, if you just break the word down, you can know what's happening in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomos, the second giving of the law. Why is there a second giving of the law? Because in the first giving of the law, the people of God died off in the wilderness, all right? So now Moses is preparing those who were 20 and under, who've now lived for 40 years, and they're getting ready to go into the land. So the Bible says in Deuteronomy that they came, that he's telling them the story, and he said, we came to Kadesh Barnea, Deuteronomy 1, verse 19. When we reached Kadesh Barnea, here's what happened. We sent out 12 spies. And when they came back, do you remember what happened? We sent out 12 spies. 10 said no. Why? Not because the land wasn't good but because the land had what they perceived to be giants and fortified cities. They said, we can't take this land. So 10 said no. Two of the spies said, it's time to go. Who were those two? Do you remember? Joshua and Caleb. Caleb's one of my favorite Old Testament guys. I don't have time to tell you why, but you ought to go read up on Caleb. He was a man of great courage, even when he was old. Ten spies said no. Two said go. But the people said no. Because these ten who tell us about the fortified cities and the giants, they have put fear in our hearts. So I want you to watch what happened. Deuteronomy verse 12 is when he then comes and he says, now I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's, let's go back to Deuteronomy 1. I don't know if you're trying to follow me there, Nick. In Deuteronomy 1, I just want to point out four verses for you of what he said. Moses said, we came to Kadesh Barnea in verse 19. The spies came back and said, it is a good land that the Lord is giving us. At least that's what Joshua and Caleb said in verse 25. But here's their response. In verse 26, it says, you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. So God's response was, none of these will see the good land. It's really important that you get that. If you're going to be able to go and understand the promised rest of the book of Hebrews. When they said no, the people said, we're afraid to go. And God said, since you have rebelled and will not trust me, you will not know my rest. What was the rest that he was talking about? 
Well, some have tried to say that when you cross the Jordan and you enter into Canaan, it's like a picture of dying and going to heaven. A lot of good old gospel songs about crossing the Jordan and going to heaven. But when I read the story of the promised land, there was some fighting that went on in the promised land. I think you've got to see an already and not yet kind of application of the promised land. The promised land was a place where those who had been delivered had to go and occupy the land for themselves. What's the application for me and you today? We have to fight our own fortified cities and we have to fight our own set of giants for us to trust in the Lord to give us rest. Not going to spend a lot of time there. I think you can make the application. They said, no, we will not trust the Lord. And so God said in his wrath, because of the rebellion and because of the unbelief, you will spend 40 years in the wilderness. So now we've got Moses, Deuteronomos, giving the second giving of the law. And I want you to notice what he says in chapter Now we're ready for Deuteronomy chapter 12. In Deuteronomy chapter 12, he's saying to them that it's time has come for them to go into the land. And he said, for you have not as yet come to the rest. Notice what he's calling it. You've not come to the rest and to the inheritance that the Lord your God is giving you. But when you go over Jordan and you live in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, and when he gives you rest from all the enemies, then surely you will live then in safety. The rest was not promised immediately. The rest was promised when they went in by faith and took the land. So let's review. Kadesh Barnea, 12 spies, 10 said no, 2 said go. The people rebelled, and then their unbelief, they spent 40 years in the wilderness. Then what happened? Moses didn't get to go into the land either. An entirely different sermon series. That's what Johnny was saying this morning. We've found it hard to collapse all these things. Who led them into the promised land? Joshua. Jehovah saves. And when Joshua led them into the promised land, they had to go in and fight to occupy the land. But At the end of the book of Joshua, we read that they had conquered the land. And listen to how Joshua chapter 21, verses 43 and 44, listen to how it summarizes what just happened. It says, Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore he would give to the fathers. They took possession of it, and they settled there. And the Lord gave them what? Rest. The Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to his fathers he would do. Now, we need to now move back to the New Testament and look and see what is said in Hebrews chapters 3 and 4 as it applies to us this promised rest. So, let's go back there together. Now, that's the background story of not going into the land, 40 years in the wilderness, and then going into the land. That's the background story of Hebrews chapters 3 and 4. 
a dozen times God talks to them about the rest. But I want you to see it's not formulaic, but in many ways you can see a pattern that's followed in Hebrews 3 and 4. Here's the pattern. The Spirit of God takes the Word of God and the people of God trust in the Word of God and they find rest. Let's go back over here. The Spirit of God, speaking to the people of God, gave the Word of God to them. But they would not trust and respond to the Word that God said, I will give you this land. And when they would not respond to God's promise to them, they could not enter the rest. So how does it apply here in Hebrews 3 and 4? I don't know how your Bible is laid out. My particular one, I don't know if you can see it. I have these bold letters that are inset here. And in those bold letters, what is happening is it's quoting an Old Testament passage. And I, as I look at this, I find Hebrews 3, verse 7, today if you hear his voice. 3, verse 15, today if you hear his voice. Chapter 4, verse 7, today if you hear his voice. I'm going to go back to Justin saying he opened God's word and he heard God's voice. I'm going to say to you, I ask you to pray it. God, would you speak to my heart? I want to hear your voice. Now we find in the scripture repeating over and over again, today if you hear his voice. The writer of the book of Hebrews in chapter 3, verse 7, says, Today, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice. Did you know that's how God works? We can always talk about, I believe God spoke to me and God said. Here's one way you can measure to see if it was God that spoke to you. How does that line up with the word of God? Because God's not going to speak to you in a manner contrary to his given word of God. In the same way, God often, most often, speaks to us when his spirit quickens his word to our hearts and to our mind. And that becomes the way we know that it's God speaking as God's taking his word and speaking to us. Now, on this topic of spiritual rest, today, do you hear his voice? Today, does he use his word to speak to you about your need to find rest in him? The scripture here, over and over again, talks about the need to take him at his word, respond by faith, and enter his rest. Look how Hebrews 4, verse 11 says it. Let us then make every effort to enter that rest. <laughs> that sounds a little contradictory, doesn't it? Let's make sure we work really hard at resting, all right? 
That's the spiritual warning that we find here. Let's make every effort to enter that rest. Why? So that none of us fall into that same pattern of disobedience that they fell into. What was the pattern of disobedience? God speaking, them not trusting, and then God leaving them to wander on their own. I looked at three different places where this rest is put into a challenge form for me and you. It says, first, Hebrews 3, verse 12, take care, watch out, see to it. It says in Hebrews 4, verse 1, be careful. Be afraid. Be aware. Afraid? You know one thing about the fear of the Lord? How many times does the scripture say to us, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not. And then he says, fear not, for I am with you. But then the scripture repeats that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It says that the fear of the Lord is a good thing. What does it mean, the fear of the Lord, but to fear not? Well, if we know that God loves us and we understand his commitment to us in Christ, we're not afraid of his presence, but we sure are aware of his presence. We recognize, as Hebrews 4 goes on to say, that everything is laid open and bare before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Now, if that makes us afraid, it's because we've not made something right. You see what I'm saying? It's like when I'm driving down the road and I see the policeman, I do two things. First, I look and see where my telephone is to make sure I'm not incriminated by it sitting on my lap or sitting nearby even. If he pulled me over, would he, would he say I was using my phone? The other day I pulled up to a red light and there was a policeman on a, on a motorcycle. And I noticed in my mirror that he was, he was waving at a guy beside me. I looked over, there was a guy beside me that was sitting there at red light on his phone. The policeman pushed his bike back pulled around sideways behind me, went over and knocked on the guy's glass, very kind policeman, knocked on the guy's glass, and I I could only imagine what he said was, put down your phone, okay? Didn't do anything else but push his bike back. I guess he had somewhere to go. Pushed it back behind me and then pulled in beside me at the road. When I see a policeman, I look to see where my phone is. What's the other thing I do? I look... No, I look to see, well, yeah, I hit my brakes, but I guess I do three things, all right? I I might hit my brakes, but I look to see what my speedometer says, right? When we know that everything is laid open before the eyes of him with whom we have to do, when we're aware of his presence, we don't have to be afraid of his presence unless it's something we need to make right, but we need to be aware of his presence. But here the scripture says to us, Be careful, be aware, be afraid. Make every effort. Strive to make sure you enter his rest. Now, 
I've spent so much time laboring over these two chapters, trying to go back to the Old Testament. Just let me point out a couple things to you in Hebrews chapter 4. As he's making this analogy of entering rest, he appeals back to creation. Hebrews 4 verse 4. Somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day this way. On the seventh day, God rested from all of his works. When God had finished all that he was doing, he had finished creation and he established a pattern in creation to rest on the seventh day. And I'll tell you, you try to work seven days a week, you do it long enough, and you'll find out that you've been violating his pattern. I'm not trying to be legalistic over the Sabbath. I watch football and I go out to eat, all right? So, I mean, it's not that I, I, what I'm saying is God established a pattern when he showed us that he was resting from his work. But here, as he's making the application, trying to show the rest that we need, He says in verse 8 of Hebrews 4, If Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken later about another day. Here's another little thing like I told you, Deuteronomos. You can remember this. The word Joshua is the Old Testament word for Jesus. Does it kind of bother you when you watch some guy step up to the plate and his name is Jesus something, you know, in, in baseball? I mean, I, I, I understand that our Hispanic friends will name their child Jesus. I couldn't do that, you know, but I understand the honor they're trying to give. In the Hebrew family, to name a son Joshua, they understood they were declaring that Jehovah saves and here the writer of the book of Hebrews, if you go and try to look at it, in the, even in the Greek New Testament trying to make the parallel, if Yeshua, if Joshua, if Jesus, but not the Jesus we know who died and was raised from the dead, but the Joshua that took them into the land, if he had given them rest, why would they have spoken about another day? What's he referring to? Psalm 95, I believe it is, is being quoted here by the writer of the Hebrews saying that even the psalmist talked about today if you hear his voice don't harden your heart so there's a pattern there's a pattern of hearing God trusting his word and finding rest verse 9 says a sabbath rest remains therefore for the people of God for the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works just as God did from his now I'd be less than candid if I didn't tell you that theologians spend a whole lot of time trying to argue over is this rest talking about heaven or is this rest talking about the promised land or is this rest talking about the New Testament victory in Jesus? And I would say to you the answer is probably yes, all right? Because in the pattern of entering rest, conquering the land and finding rest, we find right here, right next to the cross, that when Jesus died, the keys of death and hell were swinging at his side when he was raised from the dead. And we don't have to be afraid anymore about death. We don't have to be afraid anymore about hell. We don't have to be afraid anymore about paying for our own sin because that's what he did when he died on the cross. And there remains today for me and you, if we hear his voice and we respond to him, we can trust his word that we really are forgiven 
that God really does want the best for us. That we don't have to be afraid that his plans for us are to destroy us, but his plans for us are good. And we can find such confidence knowing that the one who started this good work in us will complete it to the day of Christ Jesus. So today, if we hear his voice, let's be careful to enter in to his rest. Does rest mean not working? No. Rest means working yoked with Jesus. He said, if you'll take my yoke upon you, when you work, you'll know that I'm pulling the plow. Remember the old adage, find something you love and you'll never work a day in your life? Well, I want you to know I've found something I love, and there's been some days it's been work, all right? It's felt like I was having to earn Sometimes I walk out telling KK, headed back to the salt mine, honey. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm walking back to the office. I got to go work again. But the work that we don't do is to earn our salvation. And the work that we can do is to let God work in us both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So this morning, I invite you to rest What do you have to do to rest? Come to the Lord Jesus who bought you on the cross, who died for your sin and was raised from the dead. Come to the Lord Jesus. Hear the Spirit of God saying to you, come to me and trust me. What's your biggest problem? Will you trust him with it? What's your biggest disappointment? Will you trust him with it? What's your biggest challenge? Will you trust him with that? When you do, you will find rest. Here's how Jesus said it. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. All of you who are weary and burdened. And I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you. We don't use yokes very much. But it's the picture of the animal who's found their way into the harness and who's working for the farmer. Jesus says, come right in here beside me and take my yoke and watch me work. And when you watch me work, learn from me, you'll see what kind of worker I am. I am gentle. I am humble. And you will find rest for your souls. So today, I invite you to Christ. Come to him. Take him at his word. And watch how he satisfies the deepest longing of your soul. Would you pray with me? Maybe even as we started, you remembered what it is that is stealing your rest, keeping you from rest. Maybe something very good, maybe something very bad, maybe something very challenging, maybe something others would think is silly.
But when you hear it, you realize that's where my rest is going. Even my spiritual energy is going there. So come to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Come to him. Give him your burden. Lay down your challenge. Put on the altar your disappointment. And say, Jesus, I, I don't know what I can do to fix this. So I give it to you. And combining the Spirit of God with the Word of God in the response of God's child, trusting, He will give us rest. Father, we thank You for Your Word, and it's timeless. We thank You for Your Spirit who applies it in time. And we pray today, this day that we call today, that like the writer challenged us today if we hear his voice. This day, let us not put aside trusting you another day. We pray even as we sing about our confidence in you. That you will work in our lives. In Christ's name. Amen.